Welcome to the Corner of Truth and Courage with Tom and Tyler. We are here to discuss a new topic this week. We will be looking at the true practices of Islam and how they influence our world. Just like in Christianity, where there are those who claim to be followers of Christ, but do not fully adhere to his teachings, and those who do the best they can to live by the precepts found in God's Word. There are Muslims who don't follow the teachings of the Quran, and those who carefully follow the teaching of Muhammad. Those who follow the Quran often find themselves involved in various criminal activities, including murder. We want to address this issue this week and explore the relationship between real Islam and the criminal acts associated with it. Brother Wallace has spent many years studying this subject. This week he will be unveiling the real practices of Islam so we can better understand how they affect the world we live in today. Welcome to the Corner of Truth and Courage with Tom and Tyler. We're here with you in a new week uh, with a new topic and a new subject we're going to be talking about. This week we're going to be talking about the practices of what real Islam looks like. Just like in, in Christianity, there are professing Christians and then there's Christians that are doing the best they can to live by God's word. And, and Islam's no different. There are some that claim to be Muslim, but don't actually follow the Quran to the T there. But those that do uh, will find themselves committing criminal acts, will find themselves uh, committing even murder and, and different things. And so we want to we want to start by talking about it and tackling that subject today. Brother Wallace, and as we know, we're, you're, you're a bit of an expert on that there. So let's with that being said, let me hand it over to you and uh, and just the what do you want to start off talking about as far as real Islam and the criminal acts that come from it? Well, Tyler, today we're going to cut into the subject of jihad. This is what causes Muslims to fly airplanes into buildings, um, 9-11, to blow themselves up, killing other people, uh, thinking that in their death, bringing jihad, uh, death to the infidel, that they're doing God's work and that they will gain for them an eternal reward, a promise of heaven, 72 virgins, and all that other type of stuff there. And so let's begin, though, before we get into the subject of jihad. You talked about real Islam. Let's make something clear. There is such a thing as real Islam and fake Islam. Like Christianity, there's real Christianity and fake Christianity. There's some out there who say that they're Christians, but they, they don't study God's word. They don't go to church. They're Christian in name only. And uh, they're really making a God of their own imagination, and that's the one they're following. But he's Christian. And Islam has the same thing. There are many Muslims out there who've never really studied the Quran. They're Muslims by culture, by background, but they haven't really studied it. Those who do and follow Muhammad's teachings, the teaching of the Quran, uh, as he revealed what God had told him, Allah had told him, uh, those who follow that to the T are likely to be terrorists. And so th this is why people were attracted to ISIS and, and all that type of stuff. And so um, let's get into it. Now, I'm going to be quoting out of my book, Refuting Islam. And my book quotes the Sharia law. I'm not going to just quote scriptures because a Muslim could come back and say, well, you're taking that verse out of context. We will be quoting the Quran, 
but and we will be quoting the Prophet Muhammad, but I'm only doing so where the highest scholars of Islam has spelled out for us and interpreted the Quran and Muhammad's teachings to say, if you're a faithful Muslim, you need to be doing these things, okay? And it's the practice of jihad, and it's found in the what we call the Sharia law book. The proper name of it is the reliance of the traveler. A Muslim is on a pilgrimage, and as he takes his journey, this law book, he can rely on it for direction and uh, how he should live. So when he comes to section O, 9.0, we come to the subject of jihad, and let me read it for you. Jihad means to war against non-Muslims. Let's just stop there for a moment. Jihad means to war against non-Muslims. Tyler, are you Mm -hmm. a non-Muslim? Yes. Okay. Yeah, me too. (laughs) All right. So it determines who your enemy Mm -hmm. is. They've already defined who their enemy is. If you're not a faithful follower of Islam, you're the enemy. There's another way of saying it. There's two realms in Islam, Dar'ar Islam and Dar'ar Harb. Dar'ar Islam is the house of submission and the house of war. Okay? So you're either in Mm -hmm. one of those camps. You're either in the house of submission, which is Islam, or you're in the house of war. If you're not in the house of Islam, which I'm not, and you're not, and most of our listeners are not, then therefore, in the mind of a Muslim, you are free game. You're now my target. Okay? So, jihad means to war against non-Muslims. It is etymologically derived from the word mujahada, signifying warfare to establish the religion. Okay? So, how do we establish Islam around the world? Well, we go and fight. Fight the non-Muslims to bring them under submission, under subjugation, and to obey us. So, then it gets into the subject of the lesser jihad and the greater jihad. Now, the lesser jihad is the actual fighting. The greater jihad is the struggle. Every The, the, the actual real word jihad means the struggle against evil. Okay? So we all will mm-hmm. struggle against evil in our mind, uh, temptation, and stuff. That's called the greater jihad. Everyone's going to have that struggle in some way. So every Muslim has the struggle against evil in their own life. But then the lesser side, what's called the lesser jihad, not meaning that it is less important, it's just that not as many people will be required to involve themselves in this, but that's the fighting against the non-Muslims, okay? And so then it quotes passages out of the Quran. So I'm quoting to you from the Sharia law, and it uses three references. The first is in chapter 2, verse 216, fighting is prescribed for you. Chapter 4, verse 89, slay them wherever you find them. And then um, chapter 929. Now that's the, probably the most famous verse in the Quran. And uh, Surah 929, which uh, uh, calls on to uh, fight 
even the people of the book, until they pay Jizya. Mm-hmm. And um, let, let, let me um, just paint a picture for you here. This idea, Tyler, is probably the most um, egregious teaching in all of Islam, to say that you have the duty to take the sword and to go and kill other people. Now, here's what um, many people ask me. Well, don't you find in the Bible where God, Jehovah, is telling people to take the sword and to utterly destroy other people. Mm-hmm. What do you say? Yeah. To, what do you say about that? I mean, hey, are you know, is there some context to that? Yes. Okay. Uh, so, what's the difference about the violence in the Bible? Will you find violence in the Bible where God is, you know, telling uh, God's people to go and kill people and uh, utterly destroy them? Yes, you're going to find that. Are you going to find that in the Quran? Yes. What's the difference here? Here's the difference. In the Bible, when it is told, it's told to the nation of Israel, and it's called for them to deal, to bring justice against a group of people who had been, you know, uh, acted viciously or done some terrible crimes against God or against Israel themselves, okay? Mm-hmm. So God told uh, uh, God told a nation to go deal with it, okay? Now, keep in mind, it's always limited. It's a certain target of people, and it was limited to a small period of time to a small people group. It was yeah. never commanded for Israel to take the sword and continue to, to fight anyone who was not a Jew, Okay, it was always Mm -hmm. limited. Now let's look at the Quran. In the Quran, what we find is that near the end of Muhammad's life, he is giving kind of like the last testament. Chapter nine is the last chapter in the whole Quran. 114 chapters, but chapter nine, who's put in the earlier part because it's a larger chapter. That's why he's in the ninth uh, position. Um, uh, But Muhammad's kind of giving the, a commission for them to do this for all time. There's nothing going to tell them to stop, okay? So if mm-hmm. you find unbelievers, if you find them out there, it, uh, make every stratagem of war against them, as we find also in chapter 9 uh, and other places there. So all these things are prescribed for Muslims to do until they have rid the world of all the kuffar or kafir, depending if it's singular or plural. If there's any kafir out there, which is, that's you and me, the unbelievers, Mm -hmm. the infidel, uh, as long as they're there, you're to fight them. Let me ask you this. So we talk about fake fake Muslims as opposed to real uh, Muslims that practice the, the faith of Islam there. What is the percentage, would you say, difference between the two? I mean, is it like 10% of them are terroristic in nature, or what would you say is is uh, the percentage of that? Well, the good news is it's a small, small percentage, okay? About 8 out of 10 of the Muslims in the world are really non-practicing, okay? 
Okay, so about 80% of Muslims hardly even know their religion. Uh, do they any claim, of do, they, right. do they still claim that the Quran is God's word and all that? They just are ignorant of what it says? Yeah, yeah, I think they would, you know, feel their duty, you know, well, you know, Islam's the right religion and the Quran is holy and all that. They would believe that stuff, but they they don't necessarily follow it. I don't know how many Muslims have told me, you know, they're not supposed to eat pork, right? And mm-hmm. I've had many Muslims tell me, I don't eat, I don't touch pork. I use a fork, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, they enjoy bacon. They enjoy, you know, all, all that stuff there. They're not following their religion uh, for the most part, the, the, the larger community. The actual fundamentalists, I'm going to call them a fundamentalist. That yeah. would be a terrorist. Um, I, I really don't know, but I would say I'm just giving a rough guess. One percent, two percent are actually truly that 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 really believe it and follow that. OK, now others, there may be a larger portion that say they believe it, but they're not really going to, you know, they're going to say that belongs in the eighth century, in the seventh century. Not really for my day. It was there, but not really for me. They're just going to use their own authority of interpreting and say that belongs to someone else, not for me. Well, Tyler, we're going to stop there. But when we come back tomorrow, I want to get into another egregious teaching that we find in Islam that if practiced, we would not only call it abhorrent, but it would be illegal in our country. And so um, listeners, hope you'll join us again tomorrow at the corner of truth and courage. God bless you.